Psalms 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. That was given to control and calm the fears of the Israelites. And I think it's appropriate for us this morning. We live in such a fast-paced world. There's so many details that we have to deal with. And we're here this morning to remember the command that's given in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. Keep on doing this, that is, observing the Lord's Supper in remembrance of me. So we have to be still. I'm not only talking about sitting still, I'm talking about being still in your mind, in your soul. And focus on what is really important in this life that we can so easily lose focus of. And that is, it's all about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's really an honor and a privilege to partake of these elements during the Lord's Supper. For when you eat of the bread and you drink of the cup, it gives you the opportunity to publicly acknowledge your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is your hope, your confidence, your Savior, your all in all. So we want to take the things that might be distracting, everything, and set it aside so that we can give Him the proper attention and the proper gratitude for all He's done for us in the past and all that He's going to do for us in the future and what He continues to do for us right now. We have two elements. We have the bread and we have the cup. If you will open your Bibles to John chapter 6, verse 31. John 6.31, we have the Lord Jesus Christ trying to explain who He is and what this life is about. And He's speaking of bread. Verse 31, Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say unto you, it is not Moses who has given you bread out of heaven. Notice that's in the past tense. But it is my Father who gives you, present tense, the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. They said, therefore, to him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. They weren't getting it. They weren't understanding what he was saying. So we drop down now to verse 47. John chapter 6, verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. Why don't you just go ahead and underline that whole verse, circle the number, and put a star by it. One thing you don't see in that verse is anything about works, do you?
And then he says, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I think when Christ was saying this, this is the bread that came down out of heaven, I think he was motioning to himself. He was probably gesturing, this is the bread that comes down out of heaven. They were waiting for manna to come down. They were waiting for loaves of bread to appear or something. And so he's, he's further explaining to them that he is the bread of life that comes down out of heaven. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread also which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. He's talking about going to the cross. The Jews therefore began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus therefore said to them, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in yourself. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. They weren't getting it. They were confused. He's not saying this literally. He's not saying, come up and take a bite out of my arm. Eating his flesh and drinking his blood is symbolic of believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's others that are, that are confused about this. Some have taken this portion of Scripture and turned it into something called transubstantiation. They think that when a priest holds up the, the wafer, the bread, and blesses it, that it literally then, in a mystical way, becomes the body of Christ. And you have to ingest that bread in order to have your sins forgiven. They're just as confused as these unbelievers that Jesus Christ was talking to. It's important you know why that you do what you do. And as you observe this ritual, the purpose is to remember Jesus Christ. It's not to forgive sins. It's not to maintain salvation. It's a memorial, a tribute to the one that gave his life for you. The one that stepped out of heaven. The Almighty God to become a creature lower than angels, man, in order to save us from our sins. Now I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. <coughs> Excuse me, chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. You'll remember that the night before the Israelites were to leave Egypt, there was the Passover. They had to sprinkle the blood on the doorposts and the lintel, and the death angel would pass over. You would have to believe the promise that you would be saved, the firstborn would be saved in order to do that. Thousands of Egyptians did not believe and the firstborn died. That was the Passover. And they, that is the Jews, continue to observe that Passover for nearly 1,500 years until Christ changed everything on what we call the Last Supper. That was the last Passover. It was unique because we have Jesus Christ who is the Passover lamb 
eating a Passover lamb. And it was then for Him to go to the cross and die for us. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 through 8, it says, It is actually reported that there is immorality among you and immorality of such a kind that does not exist even among the Gentiles that someone has his father's wife. We're talking about incest here, a ghastly sin. And you have become arrogant and have not mourned. Instead, in order that the one who had done this deed might be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged him who has committed this as though I were present. The name of the Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, and I with you in spirit, with the power of the, our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus. In other words, the next time they met, we have Paul already deciding that since they were not separating from this person who had done wrong, we are to separate from those who are immoral. That's in this same chapter. And they were accepting it as, it was, as if it was nothing. What they were doing was accepting leaven into the lump. Leaven is something like uh, yeast, something that ferments, something that... Um, spoils, and he's saying it has to be removed from the lump. You have to remove this person from your midst because a little leaven leavens the entire lump. That's the idea. But they weren't doing that, so Paul was straightening them out on this. Verse 6, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven, that you may be that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. Now, what that's talking about is is twofold here. It's talking about cleaning out the unleavened, remove this this unrepentant sinner from your midst. That's what he's what he's talking about when he's saying remove the old leaven just as you are, in fact, unleavened. In other words, he's saying you are sinless in your position with Jesus Christ. And they should act like it. None of us are going to be sinless. Christ was the only one that was sinless. But he's, he's, he's charging them. He's, he's, he's bracing them for doing the wrong thing. Now, the other way of, of removing the... Old leaven for us is when we do sin, we acknowledge it to Jesus Christ and our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. Then look at the next, the next sentence. For Christ, our Passover. Christ is called our Passover. He was the, the Lamb of God that was slain for us. Also has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. The feast here is talking about the feast of unleavened bread, which immediately followed the Passover. It lasted seven days. And they ate nothing but unleavened bread that entire time. And it's, a, it's for us, it's saying that we should live a life that demonstrates that we are unleavened before God. We have His righteousness. But experientially, we're not unleavened. We sin. So we are to put it out, acknowledge it to God before we are to be ready to partake of this ritual. So for seven days, they, were, they made sure they ate unleavened bread. All of this is very symbolic. Again, dealing with the bread, in Matthew 4, 4, says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. 
for our, our lives consist more of just the details that we have to deal with. They consist of thinking and worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is one of the highest forms of worship is to partake of the Lord's Supper. The cup represents the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus paid it all. We have a hymn that Jesus paid it all. Nothing left undone. Jesus Christ took care of the sin problem. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And He has given us the word of reconciliation. The issue is not how good you're going to be in order to get to heaven. The issue is, are you going to eat of the bread of life? Jesus Christ, that means believing in Jesus Christ, our only hope of salvation. Because Christ said something on the cross when He was about to finish His mission. In fact, He did finish His mission. It is finished. It's accomplished. If there's anyone here that thinks that you have to be good in order to get to heaven and you have to work your way there and you're struggling then you need to know there's nothing you can do other than simply have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that moment, you're born again. Your ticket to heaven is guaranteed because of who and what He is. You don't have to be a member of Country Bible Church in order to partake of this communion. But it is important that you are filled with the Holy Spirit We're going to take a time of silent prayer here to make sure that we get rid of the leaven. And we do that by simply acknowledging any unconfessed sins to God. And then we are to concentrate. We are the royal family of God. And you take this individually, but we're taking it together also, corporately. Special time. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time that You've given us to pause and to remember and be thankful for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who gave Himself, His own body, upon the cross for us. We pray that as we partake of the bread, You'll help us to focus and appreciate. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. It's our custom to retain the bread until all have been served. He was wounded for our transgressions and He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And by His stripe we are healed. On that night... Our Lord took the bread, He blessed it, He broke it, gave it to His disciples and said, This is My body that is given for you. Take and eat thereof. Now, Heavenly Father, as we partake of the cup, May the doctrines of our Lord flood our soul. May we have true appreciation and gratitude for His sacrifice for us on the cross. We pray it in His name. Amen. It is our custom to retain the cup until all have been served.
All we like sheep have gone astray, each one to his own way. He, God the Father, laid upon Him, Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. God demonstrated His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. On that same night, our Lord took the cup and said, This is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. We shall stand and sing hymn number 258. We'll sing it softly on the third verse. Crescendo on the last verse. Let us stand as we sing. few announcements before we get started. I'd like to recognize any graduating seniors that are in our midst today. I know we have one. Amy Gervais. Anybody else? Any other seniors graduating? Please stand, Amy. Give her a hand. <laughs> We are proud of you. Okay, one other thing. We're going to have... This is our, my last time to announce that we're trying to decide whether we're going to have a uh, young people class. Um, the way we're doing this is if you are interested in coming either on a Tuesday or, a, or a Wednesday, it looks more likely like it's going to be a Wednesday, then you need to... What did I say? Tuesday, okay. Well, you can come Tuesday too. <laughs> Monday or Wednesday. And if you uh, want this to happen, you need to talk to your parents. And if it's okay with them, then you go into the hallway. We have a, a little box that we normally put prayer requests in. But what you want to do is put your name on there and what day you want to have this junior class. It will be from 6.30 to 8.00. I encourage the young people, if you do want to have this happen, to bring friends. This is an excellent time to get some of your, um, your friends that may not have any church or they may even be lost to come to a class. It's not, it's, it's, we're, we're dealing with the Word of God, so we show the proper respect, but it's completely different from this format. It's interactive. You can ask me questions. If you don't, I'll be asking you questions. And to you parents, there's nothing that you can do that's more important than making sure that your children have the Word of God. And so it might be inconvenient, but I urge you, if they want to have this happen, that you see that it will happen. And if you come from a distance and you don't want to drive here and then you can't drive home, you have to stay here, uh, you're allowed to do that, just not in here. I want the young people to be completely free. And the, the parents can be in the back. We have a video feed back there and audio and so forth. So keep that in mind. Okay. Now we're going to kind of refocus a bit because we have been for several weeks been on the sixth floor of the divine domain which is a personal sense of destiny. What am I talking about? Well here's just a, a, a visual. It's just something to help us see what our purpose is, what our goal is, what God would have us to do. The divine domain is the area in which God wants us to live. It's a place where you grow in the Word of God. Now, you can decide that you're going to be growing in the Word of God. You're going to be applying the Word of God. And when you do, you live in this divine domain, quite a place. And the more you learn, the higher you get up in this divine domain to where hopefully you can get to the penthouse. That looks like a great place, doesn't it? What a view. 
That's spiritual maturity. However, at any time, you can decide that you'd rather sin than obey. And when you do, this little thing right here, we call it the sin shoot, just drops you right out over here into the cosmic compound. Uh, the cosmic com- compound is where Satan wants you to live. Here's a better view of it. So you can decide where you want to live. The cosmic compound, or do you want to live in the divine domain? We have floors that demonstrate uh, where you might be in the maturing stage. We begin with rebound as the first floor, which essentially puts you into the divine domain. You, you, you get out of the cosmic compound, out of carnality, and then you're filled with the Holy Spirit through rebound. We just use that word. It means you acknowledge your sins to God, and boom, you're right into the first floor of the divine domain, and automatically, I don't have it on this one, you have an escalator that takes you to the second floor, which is the filling of the Holy Spirit. That enables you to faith rest. You start learning that you can trust God. Instead of having a meltdown every time something happens, you start trusting God to get you through it. Then you get to the fourth floor, which is our hot floor. You see why it's called hot? Can you all see that? H-O-T. Humility, objectivity, and teachability. You must have that in order to get to the fifth floor, which is doctrinal orientation. That means you start living your life by principles, by precepts, by truth, by the Word of God, rather than your emotions. And doctrine becomes the air you breathe. It is what we have just studied last week uh, during Bible class. It's what actually transforms you. It's the transforming or the renovating of your mind to line up with the mind of Christ, which is the Word of God. Then we went on to the sixth floor, a personal sense of destiny. Then you recognize that your life is more than just this temporary time that we're on earth. I mean, it is temporary. Uh, just ask somebody my age or older and ask them how fast their life went by. It's being able to see why you're really here and looking forward into the future, having a hope, having confidence, having an eager anticipation of what's coming. And you're, you know what's coming because you are doctrinally oriented. You are applying the things that you've learned. Now, that's where we were. By the way, I was studying for today, and I found something that has to do with the personal sense of destiny, and I wasn't even looking for it. I'm not going to digress and go into it right now. But remember, we were in Psalm 46, 10. Remember that? Be still. Know that I am God. If you want a treat after church tonight, tomorrow, sometime, read Psalm 46 and see if you can find a personal sense of destiny in there. But don't do it now. Okay? Because we're moving on now to the seventh floor, which is personal love for God. That's where we're headed now. A personal love of God. You know, we really have a problem when we start thinking about loving God. Because... First of all, you've got to know Him, don't you? You can't love somebody you don't know. And there's a problem there. Because God is infinite, eternal, and He never changes. He's invisible. What are we? God is infinite, we're what? Finite. God is eternal, we're what? Temporary. God is invisible, and we're what? We're physical, we're visible. So how can a creature like us even start to know, come to know God? And then the the problem is compounded because not only are we to know Him, the Bible says, that we are to love Him. In fact, the Bible commands us uh, to love Him. We see this in 
Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. With all your might. Uh, Jesus quoted this in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. So now we've really got a problem, don't we? We've got to know Him, and we've got to love Him, but we're, we're finite, we're temporal, and we're just folks. We're just people. So how can that be accomplished? Well, always God solves the problem. The solution is that God has revealed Himself to us. He's revealed Himself to us in at least two ways. The first way that He reveals Himself to us is through creation, through what He has made. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now listen to this carefully. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it to them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, now underline this last part, so that they are without excuse. Who is the they? They are the people who don't believe in God. Those are the atheists. Those are the people who just think this life is, everything that happens is just a coincidence that... God has nothing to do with it. What this is saying is that a, a person, an unbeliever, can come to a point, we call it God consciousness, where he can see the mountains, he can see the ocean, he can see the stars, he can see the sun, the moon, he can see all these things, and he knows that man didn't create these things. Man can't do that. Any logical, rational person would recognize that the design must have a designer. The creation must have a creator. And it certainly isn't a person, not a, not a man. Only God could do that. So when you're talking to an unbeliever and he's saying that he doesn't believe in God, you need to know that he knows but there is God. Because the Bible says He does. That's what it just said. By the creation itself, it has, God has revealed Himself for the invisible, this is verse 20, for the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. What invisible things? Well, how about omnipotence, all-powerful? Omniscience, all-knowing. The attributes of God can be can be ascertained by just looking at what He has created. So that's the first way that God has revealed Himself to us. Another way that He reveals to us Himself is through the Word. I'm going to give you a, a, a several scriptures here. You don't have to turn to them for the sake of time. I'm going to be going through them fairly quickly. The first one is Psalms 25.5. Lead me in Thy truth and teach me, for Thou art the God of my salvation. For thee I wait all the day, waiting to see God work in his behalf. Psalm 25, 8 and 9. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in justice and he teaches the humble his way. God is teaching through his word. Proverbs 1, 23. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my Spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. 
Did you hear the first part of that verse? Turn to my reproof. What is reproof? It's chastisement, isn't it? God gets people's attention sometimes when they're just trying to ignore Him by reproof, by correction, in order to get their attention. And if they turn to His reproof, that means if they acknowledge, "Uh uh-oh, I'm an arrogant, big-headed blob. And it's time for me to recognize who's in charge. Then we have the promise. This is Proverbs 1.23. Behold, I will pour out my Spirit on you, and I will make my words known to you. Anybody that wants to know about God is guaranteed that God is going to make sure they get the gospel. They're going to get what's necessary to have a relationship with Him. Isaiah 2.3 And many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that He may teach us concerning His ways, that we may walk in His paths. Isaiah 2.3 Some of you are astute. Some of you have enough doctrine to connect the dots in that verse. What mountain is he talking about? What city would this be in? The New Jerusalem. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 13. And all your sons will be taught of the Lord. The well-being of your sons will be great. Jeremiah 15, 16. Thy words were found and I ate them. And thy words became for me a joy and a delight of my heart. Now, all of you are hearing my words because we have a good sound system. They're really not my words. I'm reading Scripture, so they're whose words? God's words. Hopefully, most of you are eating them. You know what that means? What did I say this morning when we were taking the Lord's Supper? What did I say? When you eat, it's a demonstration that you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Eating His Word is the same thing. When you eat the wafer, you're publicly demonstrating that you have believed in Jesus Christ. When When you believe the Word is what Jeremiah is saying here is the same as eating them. It's just like food. You can have a you have a delicious Meal. We have a meal waiting for us. I hesitate to say that, so now everybody's thinking about the goodies, the the food. But we have a meal waiting for us. But if we all go in there and we circle that table, man, that's some good-looking food. Uh, I I can smell it. It it just looks like it's going to be delicious. But we leave without ever eating it. What benefit is there? If you're here today and you're listening to the words, but you're not eating them, what benefit is it to you? God gave you a free will. He gave you volition. We just read uh, in the, that we were to turn to His reproof. And you do that by eating His words. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not upon your own ways and acknowledge Him in all things and He will direct your paths. You want to do it your way or you want to do it God's way? You can't do it God's way until, first of all, you know that He's in charge. What does this say again? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Are you trusting in the Lord? Are you leaning upon your own understanding? Do you know that probably 90% of the people that you come in contact with live by their emotions? The Word of God is not circulating in their stream of consciousness. Far from it. They don't know God. They don't love God. And I'm talking about, in many cases, churchgoers. People that go to church and they are entertained and they think, Spirituality is emotions. That's why they go and get their emotional fix at church. They get all jazzed up. But they're doing it their way. You have to know God's way. And then it says, In all thy ways acknowledge Him, 
Acknowledging Him is obeying Him. It's applying what you've learned. And He's going to direct your paths. He's going to make sure that you understand it. Turn to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2. Y'all know where Proverbs is located? Just open your Bible to the very middle. And you should be somewhere close to the Psalms there. Guess what comes after the Psalms? Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 2. Verse 1. Now, he says, my son, but this could be referring to his daughters, too. My son, if you will receive my sayings, treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, underlying wisdom. There's a difference between wisdom and intelligence. Wisdom is knowledge that God imparts. Just because you're intelligent doesn't mean that you're wise. Make your ear attentive. I was always in sports, and instead of... I never had any coaches that would say, um, make your ear attentive. But they would say, listen up. That's what, that's what this verse is saying. Listen up. Incline your heart to understanding, for if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her, her is wisdom. Wisdom is being personified here. We would call wisdom what? Here, we call it Bible doctrine. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures... By the way, what if I said within these church grounds we secretly buried a ton of silver and the first person who finds it gets it? I would never make that statement until after church, by the way. <laughs> but if I did, do you think people would forget about it? Do you think they would casually go out to their car? No. They'd go out there and... They'd be looking for shovels and picks. If not, they'd be with their. They'd be out there really looking, wouldn't they? That's the way we should be searching for truth and wisdom from God. That's the idea here. He says, if you seek her, as if you were seeking silver, and search for her as if you're searching for hidden treasure, then you will discern the fear of the Lord. Fear there means respect of the Lord, and discover the knowledge of God. You don't just automatically find out who God is by walking through the woods. Now, the woods are a tremendous place. I mean, you can... Have you ever done that? Have you ever just gone out into the forest or out in the pasture or whatever and just started observing? That's great. But that's not seeking God's knowledge as if it was a treasure, is it? You seek God's treasure... As if it was silver, it's talking about seeking wisdom, seeking her, which is knowledge. And you have, this is a guarantee. If you're going to do that, if you seek her that way, wisdom or knowledge, what does the end of verse 5 say? And discover the knowledge of God. Then you will discern, you'll have discernment and respect the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom for his, mouth, for his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the path of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. So what am I saying? What am I trying? To, the point I'm trying to get across is that if you want to know God, you can know God, and you can obey the command to love Him, but you can only love Him if you know Him and you can't know Him if you don't know His Word. 
the emotions just don't cut it. So we can love God because He revealed Himself in His Word. Here's a couple of verses for you. 1 John 2, 5. But whoever guards His Word, truly in Him the love of God has been perfected. By this we know that we are in Him. What did I say the first part? This is 1 John 2, 5. Whoever guards His Word. How do you guard His Word? You're not careless with His Word. You don't come to church, oh... Thanksgiving and Christmas or Easter and give a nod to God. That's not guarding His Word. Guarding His Word is learning it, continue to take it in so you won't forget it. About, I don't know, what was it, three weeks ago, I gave a message and I was emphasizing the rate of learning must exceed the rate of forgetting. If you don't, you're not guarding God's Word. That's the idea. Then we have Jude chapter 21, or excuse me, chapter 1, verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. What's that talking about? Keep yourselves in the love of God. How do you keep yourselves in the love of God? How do you do that? This is a command. Do it. You're doing it right now. When you learn God's Word, you are keeping yourself in that sphere of the love of God. Mary, if you and your staff would like to leave now, we'll continue. We'll give you a moment to exit. This is the test for the rest of us to keep concentrating. Now, the people who are going to serve and and are preparing for the food are leaving. And if from this point on you're thinking about food, you might as well go with them. Please don't anybody get up and follow them, though. You would just get in the way. See, the problem is most people don't know that Loving God is not an emotional thing. We humans associate love with feelings, with emotions. In fact, a lot of churches cater to that. In fact, they're professionals. The lighting is just right. They have the music. They have. Uh, there's nothing wrong with music. We with uh, instruments. We have a. An organ and a piano here. I went to a church one time. Uh, I was on vacation. One of, the, one of the guys that were with me is here, Danny. You'll remember this. I said, let's go to church. It's Sunday. I was with one other guy, Greg Kreitzer. And where do you want to go? I said, I don't know. Let's look in the yellow pages. And I looked there. Ah, here's a Bible church. Let's go there. We'll be safe going there. <laughs> We walked in and started walking up to the front and the electric guitars and the drums and everything was there. And I thought, well, you know, nothing wrong with having instruments, but I was getting a little bit queasy. Let me just say that wasn't what we were used to, was it, Daddy? Before it was over, everybody was up and, you you know, they were doing their thing. We were the only ones that remained seated and we were looking towards the door, hoping that we could get out safely. But these people, I'm not trying to make light of these people. Really, it's sad. Their thinking is that, boy, if I can get over there and really get into it, then I'm really spiritual. I'm getting closer to God because I've had this great emotional stimulation. Some people go to church to just get their emotional fix and pray that it'll last till the next Sunday. But when it comes to handling the exigencies of life, the adversity, the trouble, the turmoil, they don't have a clue, and they live just like unbelievers, because they have no they have no knowledge of God, so they do not love God. To them, love is a some kind of oozy doozy emotion. When you're thinking doctrine, 
that you have learned and you're applying doctrine that you have learned, you know what you're doing? You're being obedient, right? But you're loving God. That's why this this, uh, Lord's Supper is so special is because it's one of the highest forms that we, the, the, the most sacred form that we have to show our love and appreciation towards God. Now, you may be emotional about that. If you, if you are, don't think that I'm trying to squash that. That's not the case. But it's not about what you're feeling. It's about what you're thinking. And that's what's missing so much today. I'm really um, tempted to go on. <laughs> I'm already ten minutes past what I normally uh, teach. And... I don't know how much longer you can concentrate hearing the little getting ready back there. If they open that curtain, we might as well just forget it. We'd all smell the food and be over. It's an honor and a privilege to remember Jesus Christ with you today by taking of this communion. But maybe you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, so this part of the message is for you. In order to give it, I want everyone to please bow your heads and close your eyes. The reason I ask you to do that is so that everyone can focus and no one has to be embarrassed that someone's looking at them. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or walk an aisle. I'm just going to ask you to think about Jesus Christ. Who is he? And what did he, what did he do? Is the Bible just fables written by men? Or is it truly God's Word that reveals the most important thing you'll ever hear? And that is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who went to the cross and died for your sins. He was buried and rose again and now is offering eternal life to anyone who will believe in Him and Him alone for eternal salvation, for it's a gift. It's only given as a gift. You can't earn it or deserve it. And in a moment of time, even this moment, you can make that decision that you're going to trust in Christ and quit going it on your own and depending upon your own works. And in that moment, you are born again. You become a child of God and your ticket to heaven is guaranteed. It's not what you feel. It's that decision that you make that changes everything. Now, Father, we're so thankful that You are our God and that we had this honor and privilege to remember You in this special way this morning. Help us to grow in grace and knowledge so that we can not only know You, but love You and reflect Your glory. We pray this. In the name that is above all names, even Jesus Christ, our Lord and only Savior. Amen.